Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Do you associate the creative life with bravery? Typically, bravery is something you might associate with emergency services or uh, the armed forces. I would contend that it takes a great deal of bravery to devote one's life to making art. Eric Polito of Midlake, my guest on this episode of Wheels Off, is living proof of the veracity of that assertion. He gave up the security that would certainly have come to him with the kind of job he could have gotten um, with a great degree from a great school and and the Clearly an intelligent guy, clearly a guy destined for great things in the corporate world or whatever. But guess what? He had a calling. He heard a calling. And he followed his muse, and it led him to the band Midlake and a great career. He has followed his muse now across the world, across the pond, they, they have a great following in Europe. They do really well on this side of the pond as well. They are just now emerging from a seven, eight-year hiatus with a great new record for the sake of Bethel Woods on ATO Records, where label mates. And he also runs a bar, which I think is probably a daunting task in itself. I'm really glad I got to talk with Eric. He's a fascinating fellow, uh, a fellow North Texan. And I think you're really going to find a lot to love in this newest episode of Wheels Off. Please welcome from the bed, Midlake, Eric Polito. Welcome to Wheels Off, Eric Polito. Thank you so much for joining me. This is great. So glad to be here. Thank you for having me, Rhett. It's oh, been, the, I feel like this is a long time coming of meeting and talking, you know, just, yeah. we're not that far from one another, but yet our circles haven't really crossed, you know? 
Well, it's funny. I feel like I've um, been watching you from afar for a long time. Like you started coming up at, after I'd already gotten out of Dallas. And um, but but it's been great to watch. And it's, uh, you know, it's fun to watch another fellow musician whose music I admire go on the roller coaster of this weird life. Thank you very much. That means the world. And yes, you guys uh, obviously laid a lot of groundwork, especially in this this area and obviously still celebrated so much to this this day um, for bands like us to even have a have a path to come along. So thank you. Oh, man, that's sweet. Thank you. So by this area, uh, can you tell us for the edification of our listeners where it is you're joining us from? Yeah, usually we say North Texas, but I'm specifically in, in at the top of the Golden Triangle in Denton. Uh, yeah, Denton, Texas. Yeah, Fort Worth, Dallas being the bottom of the uh, big isosceles triangle. Right. Yeah. yeah. Denton's great. Old 97s have a lot of great memories in Denton. My little sister, you know, went matriculated to that fine university up there. And and you guys are sort of the um, the greatest band to come from a, a town full of great bands, though. I'm going to quote you on that. <laughs> uh, so I know you're doing a lot to promote this new record, and it's, and it's an accomplishment that you've got this record a long time coming, finally dropping. And um, But I wonder, is what's the creative project that you're working on right now, and how does it light you up? I mean, I you know, I love to just create things, whether that be obviously music, whether it be this bar that we're sitting in that our Midlake guys started 10 years ago. Now we were basically glorified uh, interior decorators. <laughs> uh, we didn't know anything about the bar business. Um, but yeah, I, obviously uh, over the last several years since we took a hiatus, I, we created two children. So I have kids now, which is amazing and uh, love that. Um, did did a collaborative project called Banquet um, and then a solo record, my first solo record over this this hiatus. So it's it's just it's really great to dig back in to Midlake after all of the kind of the culmination of these things. And, yeah, it's just exciting to, to, to create something with my my friends, you know, longtime friends and and uh, fellow artists um, again. Wait, and it sounds really beautiful. It's as if you guys never stepped away. Thank you. Thank you. We, we, you know, we stayed in contact, obviously we're friends. We still live here in Denton. We share, you know, just time with our families and even, even worked on each other's, you know, albums. So it wasn't like we, we were totally like, um, you know, on an Island and, and not um, cohabitating, but, it's different when it's under the umbrella of, of Midlake. It, it has some pretense and maybe some baggage uh, there as well. So it was a little, you know, it's, th there was a little bit of, uh, of, of uh, trepidation or, or maybe consternation, maybe of just like, are we, is this good? Should we, but yeah, I'm glad we did. <laughs> um, I have to ask track two Bethel woods. Um, shares a name with a, a place where the original Woodstock was held, which is right by where I live in uh, Hudson Valley of New York. Oh, cool. And I'm, I'm wondering, was it, it was inspired by Bethel Woods, the, the place here? Yeah. So long story longer, I, I say a lot of times because I can go on a little bit with the tangent, but but it it it, it, it was very important um, that 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 place um, in the sense that the inspiration for the song really was our keyboardist Jesse's dad, who grew up uh, there in Woodstock, who attended um, the Woodstock Festival. Um, Jesse grew up there in Woodstock and, and lived there. Um, and we visited and, and it was like, 
you know, for someone that loved the band and, 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 and Dylan, and obviously just the history there, um, just like really romanticized about this place. And we went there, of course, visiting all those different areas. Um, his dad who attended the festival showed us this video still of him, 16 years old, sitting there at the Woodstock festival, watching, you know, what obviously was in his, uh, musical and cultural history. And I always just thought that was just a really cool moment in time. Um, and fast forward, tragically, Jesse's father passed away in 2018, but came to him in a dream to get the band back together. And we had all kind of had our respective kind of epiphanies of sorts of like, man, maybe we should, you know, start working together or write a song or whatever. And Jesse's was like, wait, your dad came to you in a dream. And he was such an amazing human and, and so supportive of the band that, you know, it, 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 it held some weight. And um, I couldn't help but remember that image of him. And it inspired writing the song Bethel Woods, which then kind of became like almost a overarching theme of loss and kind of finding or creating purpose and then it was became kind of the album title and, and, and kind of a theme that kind of ran itself through um, other uh, songs on the album. And uh, again, to make a long story longer, that video still, we, we had an artist do a, a rendition of it and that became the album cover wow. of his dad sitting there 16 years old after a country Joe McDonald's performance of uh, I'm fixing to die rag. It cuts to his dad. That's just like, this peaceful gaze to the, the stage while chaos is going around him. And I was just like, man, that place is like, it holds so much of this kind of happy place or paradisal place. And I, I kind of, uh, yeah, just used that to, to capture, um, that sentiment. And, uh, ultimately it became kind of an overarching theme. So God, what a beautiful, you know, snapshot, little, well, literally, but what a beautiful, yeah. like little tiny thing that you, that's got so many layers and that you've gotten so much out of in a way. It's funny. It's almost like that is a, is a microcosm for what it is we do, right? We, we, we churn memories into new uh, product, new, new feelings, new songs. I agree with you. And I, I, I think Midlake kind of, we've historically been a little more coy and maybe not as transparent. I just feel like whether it's age or, or just kind of just, I don't know the human element of just wanting to share that a little bit more and, and, and stories and maybe someone can, can relate in their own way and, and that have more meaning. It's not just about, you know, a song or, or trying to be cool or relevant. It's like, no, nah, it's just me, man. This is just us, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if if that's just a, generally a product of age, or I wonder if it's specifically like having tiny humans that are connected to you that you have to take care of. I I definitely agree that that both of those things and the latter is is just yeah. I mean, it, you kind of obviously we're all selfish, and I I remain to to, to you know to be relatively selfish, but a kid will change that because they just rely on you. They depend on you. And yeah, I, th I think that it shifts uh, the way that you see the world and, and, and yourself. And, and I think at least with the music and I, and I really appreciate this for all of the, our, uh, us guys, because I think 
you know, balance is so important. Um, and finding that balance is, is that things don't matter as much as they did, you know, especially that specific kind of expression, it matters, but just not as much as we thought it did at one point. And, you know, you hope that, that you can still maintain, um, you know, a, a level of, of, uh, excitement and, and, um, uh, value within that expression. But I think the balance is important because it almost, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't work kind of straddling all these things and then being like, no, wait, music matters more than anything. I matter, my voice, my, you know, tour, my whatever. It's like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't matter as much. Just put it in its right place, man. Like it, I promise things will be a lot easier. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. It's and it's it's so universal too when musicians become parents. This whole uh, realizing that we're st stuck in our own sort of eternal Peter Pan syndrome world, and then yeah, it's, I, I just um I had never really gotten to know him before, but I just got to talk to Lyle Lovett and for a while the other day, and I don't think um, not for an interview, but just uh, life, and um, I don't think he would mind me saying he's a sixty-four-year-old man with twin four-year-olds. And oh, he's, wow. he's like eaten up with it. And it was so sweet to hear. He's like, I don't want to go on tour anymore. I, he's like, I had to be gone for five days. And it was the longest I'd be he's freaking out. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I love it. My, we, we just did South by Southwest, which obviously is, can be a little bit of a circus. Um, but my wife and my kids came down to see the last show that, that we did before um, heading out and it was, you know, five o'clock is perfect time. They, they've seen me play, but not, they haven't seen Midlake because we just haven't done it um, in eight, eight years, nine years. So it was so cool um, because, you know, they're just happy to be there and proud to see dad and his friends, you know, making music and they're waving and yelling and, you know, they got their headphones on and, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of cool to have that experience with them amidst, whoever else might be there, but it's like, yeah, it's my, my son and my daughter and, and my wife and, and just recognizing them. And, and yeah, just, it just, it just becomes, uh, about something greater, I guess. And I appreciate that. And, and really, uh, just love this, this, this time that we're in. Do you remember when, when you were a kid, was there a moment when you knew that you were going to do music? Was it always obvious to you? Was there, was there another choice, another career path you might've gone, life path you might've gone down? You know, I, I always loved music and I, I started playing guitar because a friend of mine was playing guitar and taking lessons and I would go, you know, spend the night and he would teach me like, crazy train, you know, stairway to heaven or whatever, like whatever he learned at his lesson. So I got this, this Smurf blue Ibanez Axe star. I think it was called, <laughs> and it's everything that you think it would be. And just, you know, hacked my way through just, just learning some, some, some songs. Um, but I, but I always, I always loved music. My grandmother, my step grandmother would come over when I was younger and we had a piano that was basically like furniture, but I was like, I want to learn how to play this thing. And she would bring, uh, you know, books over with different songs that I just remember the, the smell of these books and she'd put them up there and it was simple songs. I, I stink it at piano to this day, but, um, but it was like all these things. And then obviously just although it sounds cliche, just the radio, it's like listening to Casey Kasem's top 40 and those songs, like doing something uh, 
to me. And, and my parents weren't musicians, but they loved music and it was all around, you know? Um, and so I guess growing up in, in that, with that appreciation, the place that I applied it with McKenzie, our drummer was at church. We played at a church together that we attended. And that was my expression of like, okay, I guess this is, this is how I can, um, you know, play music because I, I just didn't feel cool enough or good enough to like start a band. McKenzie was in a band. He was really cool. And I, you know, I was like, that's, that's neat, but yeah, I guess I'll just play at church, you know? And so I, I carried that through college of, of uh, just loving and appreciating music, writing music. I was scared kind of to sing in front of people, but I had done it in that kind of church type atmosphere where grace <laughs> abounds, I guess. Um, but I was, you know, again, just, it was just kind of a hobby. And I went to Texas A&M pursuing a business degree in marketing. I was like, I got to just like, I'm sure every college kid at some point is like, okay, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with this um, degree. And I ended up doing an internship in New York for Universal Motown Records. And it was awesome. I'm 20, 21, 22 in New York, uh, 2001. And I played, a friend of mine had a birthday party at CBGB's and I played a couple songs there. It was just like, oh my God, like everything in that summer was becoming like, I don't know. It just kind of this culmination of music and culture and, and just of age of like, okay, now I'm going to, what's next. I'm going to be a record executive or something and also write music on the side and figure this out. And I had one semester left of college and McKenzie called me up and Midlake was a four piece at the time. And they were like, Hey, we're thinking about adding a fifth and would you want to join? And I was like, why do you want me to join? I'm not that good. You know, you guys are jazz musicians at UNT. Like I, they're like, no, you'll, you'll figure it out. You know, I, we think, you know, you'll fit right in. And I already knew the guys I had obviously visited Denton since the late nineties and really was a fan, you know, of what they were doing. And I came up and joined, I took a few classes at UNT to just kind of learn a little bit more, you know, just get some musical knowledge and I, yeah, that the rest is history, as they say, that was it. So that was 20, 20 plus years ago, and I'm still here. Did you wind up getting a bachelor's? I did. Oh, I got okay. a bachelor's degree in marketing from A&M that I was like, I was like, Dad, I'm going to use this somehow, some way. I don't really know how. It was so funny, too, because at the time, we all had day jobs, of course, and we did this band thing. So it was like, depending on the audience, I'd be like, yeah, I work for a software development company and I'm in a band, you know, like it was kind of like, uh, because I don't know. I think I felt, I didn't want to, I didn't want to let my folks down. You know, my dad put me through college and I really appreciated that. And I felt like I, I kind of threw it away in joining a band, but I also felt very confident and, and excited about going down that path. So I kind of, had both of those worlds happening. And some of the guys were teachers as well, which was a, a great gig. You know, you have insurance and you have a, a job, um, uh, some, some guaranteed pay. And so it was quite a leap when we started getting busier. It wasn't that we were making a ton of money. It was just, 
you kind of had to jump at some point. And it was during Van Panther or right before maybe when it just, you could feel things picking up and, and the touring was going to be much heavier and no job was going to say, okay, well, we'll see, you know, like maybe a week out of every month is like, so we had to just jump and, and we did. God, it's so brave too. And, and I think that's a moment that is a really um, telling moment, like the attrition rate at that moment for bands, I don't know what it would be, but it's, it's pretty high. That's the moment at which most bands say like, I can't give up the security of the job. And and I totally understand people that make that decision, but the bravery involved in in, in taking the leap that, that you guys made that, like I watched two of my bandmates years ago, like Murray and I were always just losers. <laughs> but, uh, but two of my guys had jobs and, and, you know, were working towards like actual careers. And it's so, it's so brave. At the time, did it feel like it was that brave or did it just feel like obvious? Like, well, duh, of course I'm going to do this. It, it felt obvious that we needed to do it. You know, we had had a record before that that kind of flew under the radar and we we did straddle kind of the job and and the, the weekend warrior more. And I'm thankful for those two or so years because, you know, we got to travel. We went to Europe. We started to kind of gain a little bit of traction, but with the security of still having a, a, a job, you know, um, we were so, you know, at that time, you know, everything was so, uh, you know, just like the digital world was kind of coming into place. So we were very, um, we were very aware of like what, what could or would happen next. And also very in touch with our, our label head, Simon Raymond, who is at Bella union in the UK and what he was saying about, you know, the traction that might be um, happening over there, which obviously is in, 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 uh, figuratively and literally a world away. So we're just kind of getting this information. We were doing better overseas than we were in our own home country. So it just was really exciting because we had a taste of of what that could look like. And so when we knew it was kind of breaking, uh, even though it was scary, and I remember because I'd, I had kind of, I had kind of worked my way up the ladder at the company I was with. I was oh, like, no. oh, man, I've got a really good situation here. But um, but but yeah, I'm I'm going to jump and everybody had their own respective uh, situation. But yeah, I guess to answer your question, you know, there was, of course, there's a little bit of that fear. But I just think we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if you didn't have a little bit of that in you where you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm jumping, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go see what's happening down this road. You know I mean? That's, that's kind of what an artist does, you know, they just take chances and, and see how the cards fall. So, yeah. It's funny. I wonder what you think about this. It comes down to this a lot. When I talk to people, the, the idea that artists, maybe our greatest strength is it, our, not only the, our instincts, we have strong instincts, but we're also willing to follow them sort of sight unseen. And um, I just, you know, whether it's what's the next chord, what's the next lyric, or whether it's do I, you know, give up on my lucrative career to go follow this thing that's a long shot. Like, like the instinct seems pretty important, right? It it does. I mean, and, you know, as we kind of talked about that, that evolves, you know, because, there's just more uh, to consider, you know? Um, and, but I think artistically, absolutely. I, I think 
you know, even with this, this last album, I think we were, especially because we worked with a producer, we worked with John Congleton, who I'm, I'm sure you're aware of, or, you know, a Dallas native uh, who's now out West, but, um, but yeah, like it was so cool to be able to just be in a room and play and be like, well, let's just see what this song is supposed to do, you know, and like, and, and kind of leaning on him and just the instincts of us as, as artists, not th- overthinking it and just being like, well, it'll kind of tell us where it's supposed to be and land and go. So, yeah, absolutely. I think especially artistically that the, the instincts and just the feeling, you know, is so, so important and to, to rely on that and lean into it. And despite that being our superpower, we all I've discovered have uh, voices in our head, things that we create that keep us from, or that try to keep us from making our art or living our life or whatever. I wonder uh, with regards to these kind of internally generated obstacles, what have you figured out as a way around them? Yeah, I think that's a great question because you can, you can kind of, it can kind of be debilitating, you know, if, if, if you let it. And I think it goes back to one that, you know, you have to kind of put things in the right place and, and, you know, does it matter as much as, as we think it does. Um, And I think also just accept, accepting the fact that, you know what, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to fall down and almost like celebrating that to a degree, you know, um, I, I remember, and I'm sure there's many times and and I'm sure you can relate. Um, but you know, performing can, can be one of those big time, just like, just get in your head, um, of how, how, you know, you represent um, a song or a, a show, you know, and how you're feeling and playing and all those things. I remember we were in Belgium and for whatever reason, I could not find the tonal center of the song and the ears or the, 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 the ambient mics or something. And I just performed the, the song like almost atonally, like it was just bad and it kind of just got in my head and like the whole song is like, man, or the whole set. I'm like, man, I really just, just screwed the pooch on that song. And I got, we got off the stage towards the end and I hadn't said much, you know, and the guy's like, you're all right. And I was like, you know what? Let's, let's make something out of this. Let's go back and let's do the song again, just around a microphone stripped down because mid Lake never does that. Everything has to be so perfect and planned. And like, let's just, make a moment out of it. And, you know, I just, and we did, and it was, it was fun and it was really cool. And it was like, I think in some ways that sticks with me. And obviously we could probably go round and round on just different things that have, have happened. And you kind of just embrace it instead of trying to fight it or lament it and be like, yeah, so things happen, like they're going to happen again. Like, and I think that helped in a lot of ways for all of us, especially now where it's like, it doesn't matter that much. Let's just enjoy this because especially now with a little bit of, of a little more perspective and, you know, where absence makes the heart grow fonder. And, and obviously the last two years that we've had, it's, it really rings true. And I think we're able to embrace one another and the opportunity that we even are fortunate to have and still living here and being friends and, and there being an audience that that's like, Oh yeah, mid leg, they haven't been around for a minute. I'm going to go check out that show or check out that album. And it's, 
it's just been really heartwarming to, 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 to have that, that, that feedback and that sentiment. Boy, I, re I really love um, what you said about celebrating failure because it's not just surviving it, right? It's like it's using it as fuel. And that's so great because it, then you take the power away from whatever the scary thing is. Right. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's, it, it kind of just, it's a good reminder. Um, it's a good reminder because it takes, it takes some of that, that heat off and you're like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm on the other side of it so often as well. And there's, there's so much, um, I don't know. There, there's, there's just a lot more, I think, grace than we realize that's, that's out there and just, it shouldn't be, uh, like you said, something that, that is, that is, you know, lamented or even tolerated. It should be celebrated. That's, you're, you're reminding me right before I went to sleep last night, I, I forget what I was thinking of. It was somebody I knew had had a bad moment on stage and you know, you know what it was? It was, a, it was a, it was a listening to a story about a, uh, an athlete and somebody had heckled them and it made them feel really bad. Um, but you know, the thinking about how there's 80,000 other people there that love them. And it kind of brought me back to an idea that when I'm on stage, if I get in my own head, like you're talking about, and boy, believe me, I've had that thing where I can't find the tonal center of a song. And it's, it's usually like a weird phase thing. And right. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm <laughs> doing. <laughs> and, um, but I, I had this idea last night to write on my guitar where only I could see it. Um, just to write a little note that said they're rooting for you. Yeah. Because it's what you're talking about with grace. The, those people made a point to be there because they they like your music, they like you, they care. They they've gone out of their way to be there to support you. Yeah. They're not rooting for you to fail. They're rooting right. for you, and it's hard to remember that sometimes. That's that's a great great words, great reminder. Uh, <clears throat> um, okay, so this this question always changes a little once you have kids of your own because it becomes like a more uh, like real thing you have to think about. But I'm wondering with um, you've shared a lot of wisdom with us in the last half hour. I'm wondering if you would mind trying to distill that wisdom into one kernel. If you were to run into an Eric Polito, uh, 21 years old, but in today's world, um, what advice might you give yourself? And that is a great and difficult question. You know, I think even though I, I realized that musically might be one path, um, I was so driven to find love, you know, and obviously that's a very ubiquitous type of thing. It's like, yeah, of course you're 21. You want to fall in love. Um, I was so, it, it was, it, I mean, it was just a big part of, of, uh, my life, you know, and, and through college and then obviously getting to Denton of, of trying to, to find love, you know, a, a, a relationship. Um, and I think that sentiment obviously flows into finding the perfect job, you know, finding my place within the band where I felt comfortable, which for years I felt uncomfortable. Like I didn't belong. Like I'm not good enough. I'm not able to, 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 uh, you know, to, to accomplish the things that I, that I wanted to, I was so driven by these things. Um, they mattered just so, so much. And I, 
I don't say that in the sense that like, okay, it didn't matter at all. Like there, there was purpose in that. I think these were noble things, you know, I mean, to find love, like, okay, that's great to, to succeed in your, your career or vocation, you know, to, to be better at a, as a guitarist or singer, like they, they did matter. But I think to answer your question, if I was to tell myself something, it would almost be just, just to relax, you know, just like, just things will come in time. Like, you know, I think it's good to be intentional and purposeful about the, that pursuance, but also to, to know that, you know, things will come in due time to kind of like to pursue them, but also be ready and, and, and welcoming when, when they do, you know, um, whether that be my wife who I met and was like that, that feeling of like, this, this is the one like, wait, just, okay. Just take your time. You know, like, <laughs> It, it, it's cool, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, when we talked about balance and, and kind of finding that that's, it's kind of been something in my head um, for many, many years, both for myself and just kind of others of, of, of that, uh, that balance and that piece um, of, of, of accepting kind of where you're at, but then also looking ahead to where you, you want to be. And I think at that time I was, so fixed on looking ahead that you kind of struggle to fit, to smell the roses of where you're at. I, and I think with a little age and like you said, with kids, it, it's helped me to appreciate that more where I still look ahead, but I, I appreciate kind of the roses that are around me now more than ever. It's funny when you, when you describe it, do you think that back then you felt like you wouldn't be complete without a partner, without the job and without whatever figured out? Was it like a, did you feel like it was kind of an unhealthy thing or did you think that you were just excited and impatient? Uh, I think more the latter, you know, I mean, I, I, I've always been impatient. Um, It's not that I, I, I I wasn't, um, you know, I, I, I hope, you know, that I still was a content and pleasant, you know, person at the time, (laughs) but there was a longing, you know, there was a longing for, for those things, you know, and I, and I think, in some ways that that balance was a little bit tilted. So I don't think it was like necessarily like I needed those things um, as a badge per se, Um, maybe more the musical or artistic side more. Cause you know, I'm sure you could relate, especially being here in Denton, it was so like cutthroat and like from that mentality of the university, which I only sniffed, it's like, it's very competitive, you know? And so music, becomes a competitive thing. It's like, that's not, that's not healthy. That's not good. So I think more on that side of, of things maybe was a little bit more unhealthy. Whereas as a relationship, I, I, I hope that that was more of like, I don't want to have this as a, like a badge or, or like, I, I can't live alone type thing. It was more of just like a, a desire and a want of like, I want, I want to be in love. I want to, I want to have a family. I want to kind of root myself in in this this town and this community well it's so funny talking to folks for these interviews how often that youthful impatience comes up as something that later in life we wish we could have just slowed down i know for me that's that's one of my biggest things i just could never get there fast enough and it makes you but what you're saying it makes you sort of um miss where you are because you're constantly trying to get there the next place yeah I remember my grandmother told me because we, you know, we were touring uh, not long after that, you know, over in in Europe, which 
obviously touring in, in the States is great as well, but I had no, I'd never been to Europe. So this music was affording me the opportunity to go over there. And I, you know, back then you had like calling cards and you're just like trying to remember the numbers that, you know, it's like, okay, I know my mom's number. I know that friend. I know my grandma and I would call. And I remember my grandmother telling me, you're so lucky to see these things with young eyes. And it never, I mean, I always found worth in that, even though I probably didn't understand it as much then. And I was like, you know what? I, I am pretty fortunate to see the world with young eyes. All right. Bye mama. You know, like, <laughs> uh, and I, it's always stuck with me. And uh, even, even when I don't think the balance maybe was fully there or the appreciation was fully there, there still was an element of, of, of that respect and, and, and just, just thankfulness of, of, of getting the opportunity. That's so cool, man. I really, I'm really glad that I got to connect with you because I've been a fan from afar for a long time and I'm so excited about whatever this next act is for you. I think the record is great and um, I, good luck with everything, Eric. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. I agree. It's been a long time coming. I feel like I've, I've talked with others around your circle, but never with you. So I appreciate the opportunity. It's so great to meet you. Hope we can hang out in person sometime in the near future. Amen. All right. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Osiris. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.